This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and child of Chinese American culture. I'm also a huge fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, and anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day, I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. August 19th, 1970, the Chinese population in South Africa was given white status. If that sounds messed up to you, it absolutely is. At that time, South Africa was ruled by the laws of apartheid, which mandated racial separation and white rule. When Chinese South Africans were granted honorary white status, discrimination didn't disappear. In fact, this new status for Chinese people was just another way of propping up the cultural norm of white supremacy by perpetrating what is called the model minority myth. The model minority myth sees the Asian identity as white adjacent. It's built on sweeping stereotypes of certain races, and it pits Asian people against other people of color in a sick kind of war for rights. The myth imagines all Asians as polite, smart, quiet, law-abiding immigrants. In other words, acceptable to the white people in power. What's wrong with this? Well, first of all, it erases Asian culture and diversity. Not all Asians are the same. The model minority myth erases individuality, culture, ethnicity, religion, personality, and life experience. Second of all, it erases the reality of Asian discrimination. The model minority myth says, you're successful, so discrimination does not exist. It ignores all the horrible racist acts that have been done and are being done to people of Asian descent. It ignores the history of Chinese exclusion, exploitation, segregation, and more. And although this episode is focusing primarily on the Chinese South African population in relation to apartheid, it's important I add on here that anti-Asian racism and sentiment is something that's so varied and nuanced that we don't even realize that it's happening most of the time. If the last year was any indication of how prevalent Asian discrimination can be amongst populations of people, and how blatant that racism can be, aka Donald Trump calling COVID-19 the Kung flu, and yet how many people don't register that as being racism. It's pretty jarring, and we have a really long way to go. But the major last point of the model minority myth, and a huge reason why it's wrong, is that it allows the dominant culture to blame oppressed people for their own suffering. It says discrimination isn't real because a few are able to succeed. Therefore, it goes to logic. If people of color don't succeed, it must be because they're lazy or prone to crime. The model minority myth exists to this day and continues to do harm to people of color. So what is the real story of Chinese South Africans and their battle for equality? Well, let's reverse. The Dutch colonized South Africa in 1652, eventually devastating the local communities, introducing the slave trade, and setting up their own rule. 
In the 1800s, the British took over and continued discriminatory practices. A South African gold rush was underway, and Chinese immigrants came in large numbers, drawn by the promise of gold and diamonds. But in a plot twist that surprises absolutely no one, the British blocked Chinese migrants from the wealth. So instead, the Chinese started small businesses and found other ways to survive. In 1904, in reaction to the increasingly successful Chinese community, South Africa passed a Chinese Exclusion Act, very similar to the one passed in the United States 20 years earlier. The law blocked all immigration from China. Like in the United States, this act was the first time that race had been used to exclude an entire group of people. Historians also see it as one of the first legalizations of race-based registration in South Africa, which would eventually become the law of the land in apartheid. At the same time, the British government wrote in exceptions so that they could putting indentured Chinese laborers to work in the mines, exploiting them for cheap labor and incredibly dangerous work. Chinese laborers fought against the discriminatory registration practices and horrible working conditions. Mahatma Gandhi even helped lead nonviolent protests. They succeeded in getting the exploitative labor practices changed and eventually saw the Chinese Exclusion Act repealed in 1933. But then, in 1948, only 15 years later, the ruling white class in South Africa signed apartheid into law. Apartheid means apartness, and the law enforced separation between white people and every other race. Under apartheid, Chinese South Africans were forcibly removed from areas of the country that had been mapped for whites only. I'll give you one guess who got the areas closest to trade routes, roads, high economic development, and rich land. Apartheid, like segregation in the U.S., legalized terrible human rights violations and had devastating effects on the black and brown communities, including the Chinese South African community. Apartheid didn't end until Nelson Mandela finally succeeded in abolishing it in 1994. Trevor Noah, the host of The Daily Show, wrote a book called Born a Crime about his experience being born mixed-raced in South Africa. To learn more about his journey from apartheid South Africa to one of the most well-known TV spots in the world, you can listen to our September 28th episode. But back in the middle of apartheid, on August 19, 1970, the Chinese population was suddenly granted honorary white status. The change meant that they could live and work in white areas with a special permit. However, receiving white status did little to recover the damages that years of discrimination had already done to the Chinese community. They still faced racism and inequality and were expected to live up to the white supremacist standards of the model minority myth. In other words, work harder than anyone, be smarter than everyone, and keep quiet about the racism that you face. When apartheid was finally reversed in 1994, new benefits were put into place to try help recover some of the damages done to people of color. But because the Chinese population had been granted white status, they didn't qualify for these benefits. Ironically, the honorary white status ended up hurting them in the long run. Finally, in 2008, South African courts recognized Chinese South Africans as a part of the oppressed class during apartheid, and therefore declared them deserving of the benefits given as partial reparations. With this ruling, South Africa in part acknowledged the damage of the model minority myth and began a long journey to repair its history in Chinese exclusion. South Africa is one of the few countries to put reparations into state policy. Although most advocates don't believe the reparations go nearly far enough, they include a one-time payment of $3,900 to victims of apartheid. The government also enacted the Black Economic Empowerment Program, which is similar to affirmative action in the United States. It incentivizes businesses and institutions to invest in Black employees and students and require a certain level of cooperation in order to receive government funding. While they did it imperfectly, the attempt to repay people of color for the damages done was an important step in restoring equality. 
and it required admitting to the wrongs that were done to those communities. Many civil rights advocates believe that the United States could learn from the reparations process in South Africa. Now, let's talk about music. On August 19, 1967, one of the most recognizable songs of all time hit number one for the first time on the U.S. charts. The song? All You Need Is Love by The Beatles. The song was written to prepare for the first ever live international TV production called Our World. Producers asked the Beatles to write a song in simple English that could be understood by a diverse audience. All You Need Is Love, with its unusually simple melody and repetitive mantra-like lyrics, fit the bill perfectly. For the broadcast, performers from over 19 countries appeared and drew the largest television audience ever up to that date. Somewhere between 400 to 700 million people watched around the world. And as the grand finale of the broadcast, the Beatles performed All You Need Is Love for the very first time. Within two months, the song hit the top of the charts. And since then, it's come to represent the voice of that time, the free love movement, and the perhaps naive hope many felt for a better, more peaceful world. And fun fact, John Lennon's handwritten lyrics for the song sold in 2005 for a million pounds. And now for today's final segment, I'll be going into my own archives, my photo archives, to see what I was up to on an August 19th in my life. On August 19th, 2015, I went out in San Francisco on a photo shoot with my friends at the time um, to take photos. <laughs> And we all made flower crowns with each other. And then I brought a ukulele and it was like, it was the epitome of 2015 Tumblr where like people were trying really hard to look cool and edgy and depressed. Like I'm not proud of who I was. I definitely was really struggling and trying to figure out who I was when I was 15. Um, but yeah, that it was not a good era of my life, I will say, and I try to forget it, but I am because of the, uh, the way I am, I post about my memories that I cringe about, and so I put one of those photos online, and it's me standing in front of a graffiti that says crybaby, and like I was trying so hard to look cool. Like I was just like, ah, it's so embarrassing. And so now the internet has access to it forever. So, you know, that was um a little bit dumb on my part, but you know, it is what it is. Thanks for going back in time with me and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Come back tomorrow for more stories from the past. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365.